This podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only. Nothing on this podcast should be construed as financial advice. All views expressed on this podcast are solely the opinions of the host and or any guests that we might have from time to time. Nothing on this podcast should be construed as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or to follow a particular investing strategy. Hello, you sexy sat stackers, and welcome to the latest episode of the Bitcoin Bulletin Podcast. I am Chris, and today is Wednesday, April 19th, 2023, which means, of course, it is DCA Wednesday. Are you ready to grow that stack, stat sacker? Stat sacker. Sat stacker. It is a glorious afternoon here on Florida's Space Coast. It is sunny. It is only about 80 degrees, so it cooled off a little bit in the last couple days. It has been a long, hot week. This Wednesday is the longest week I've experienced in a while, but I've accomplished quite a bit, so I'm feeling pretty good. This is one of the first noise-free days I've had to record. I don't care how soundproof the studio is. Uh, You know, we had the Space Coast, the Cocoa Beach Air Show this weekend, and, you know, the Thunderbirds and everybody start arriving a couple days beforehand. So pretty much last Wednesday, last DCA Wednesday, the Thunderbirds showed up. And then two uh, F-18s from the Navy, like F-A-18 Growler team or whatever. A couple of A-10 Warthogs, Thunderbolts, a B-52 Bomber, all kinds of uh, weapons of mass destruction, right? All kinds of fiat backing tools, all kinds of things that they say give uh, the U.S. dollar its value. But one thing they all have in common is they're really loud. So, you know, they, they fly around, get people's attention on like Wednesday and Thursday and then Friday. Basically, there's an entire air show. They do a, a complete dress rehearsal. Uh, then, of course, the air show Saturday and Sunday. And then most of the airplanes leave on Monday. Some of them lift on Tuesday. I don't know if they just took an extra day to enjoy being here at the beach before heading back to parts unknown or whether there were uh, mechanical problems that kept them from leaving on time, whichever. Uh, we basically had one week of really, really noisy uh, activity going on. So it's nice to have a nice, quiet Beautiful sunny day with just a gentle breeze as opposed to that roaring breeze that was banging oak trees into my studio roof and walls uh, the last two episodes in a row. Uh, But that blowing, banging breeze brought in about 10 degree cooler weather, so life is good. All right, I digress. Before we really get into things, and there's a lot to discuss this week, it's really, really, you know, it's kind of one of those the more things change, the more things stay the same things. Uh, But there's some interesting developments to talk about. But first, a look at the vital statistics. At the time of this recording, we are sitting at a Bitcoin block height of 786,136. And Bitcoin is ringing in at a U.S. dollar value of 29,250 or 3,419 sats per dollar. That is about, that's a couple hundred dollars less than it was last DCA Wednesday, which is good because we'll get to stack more sats. Uh, You know, the media, one of the things we're going to get into is the media trying to paint Bitcoin is crashing again, uh, you know, because Bitcoin broke 30,000 and, uh, you know, higher. Uh, Tone Vase was on a couple of podcasts, including the Cafe Bitcoin a couple of days ago, talking about how his model said it was going to go up to 34,000 and then be a retracement. Uh, and I've called $30,000 one of Bitcoin's magic numbers on multiple episodes. But the one thing with any currency, with any market, with any investment, any commodity, any security, uh, is that, you know, when the value goes up, there are going to be some people who sell profit-taking, right? Uh, And every time we've had a bull run, you know, even during the parabolic rises we've seen, the meteoric rises when Bitcoin was sitting, 
record all-time highs seemingly, seemingly day after day. There are always little pullbacks uh, before Bitcoin continues on its merry way up into the right. Um, but if you zoom out, if you zoom out to just Wednesdays, for example, Bitcoin is pretty much exactly where it's been the last four weeks in a row. Uh, I, on this show, we haven't purchased above $30,000 for like a year or longer. Uh, the last purchase we bought in at uh, 20, you know, when we started the show anyways, Bitcoin is $29,920. Wednesday before that, it was 28110 And the Wednesday before that, it was 28420 The Wednesday before that, it was 27530 So if you zoom out and look at the big picture, we are certainly not crashing. You don't even see a pullback, right? I mean, Bitcoin's steadily up and to the right. Uh, as long as you're not staring at the minutiae, the intricate, you know, inter-hour daily, you know, inter-daily, hourly, minutely moves uh, of Bitcoin's price, uh, it's actually pretty stable. I mean, it we're a couple hundred dollars less than we were last week and a couple hundred dollars more than we were the week before that. All right. So speaking of blockite, uh, we are currently 53,864 blocks until the next Bitcoin reward having. And that is steadily marching closer and closer, approximately uh, one year from today, one year and one day. It's still looking like that's going to occur on April 20th of 2024. So almost exactly one year to the day from today, uh, we will see the next Bitcoin halving. And if you know anything about Bitcoin, that the last three times in a row, at least, has kicked off um, the, the, the next bull market. So... Uh, the Bitcoin four-year cycle, the 210,000 block theory, uh, Bitcoin, uh, we're, we're basically repeating the uh, end of 2019 or the, or the middle of 2019 uh, when Bitcoin was kind of going sideways before it started ramping up again after the 2020 halving. And of course, you know, the new all-time highs came pouring in shortly after the halving. So if history rhymes or repeats, uh, you know, maybe we'll see some Bitcoin appreciation. I saw one chart out there that said Bitcoin should maybe get up to about $50,000 and then pull back a little bit before the next halving. And then we won't really blow off towards the, the all time high until, well, usually within six to 18 months after the all time or after the halving, that's when we start seeing Bitcoin setting new all time highs. Uh, so if that happens again, we won't see a new all time high until 2024. Uh, but you know, Bitcoin's almost doubled in price just since you know, December in the, in the first couple of months of this year, just since the beginning of the year. So it's doing pretty darn good. And as we mentioned on the last episode, our BCA stack is in the green. So um, we have nothing to complain about. And of course, the lower the price gets in the short term, the more stack, the more sats we're going to add to our stack. So if Bitcoin had been in the $32,000 range or whatever, uh, we wouldn't be getting as much Bitcoin today as we're going to get. So I am excited. And if Bitcoin goes even lower, that's cool too. Hodlnot on Hodlnot on Twitter tweeted, when Bitcoin was right around 31,000 that, hey, I'm going on a, on a limb here, but something along the lines of going on a limb, but Bitcoin, I, he was basically predicting we'll never see Bitcoin at $30,000 again. And of course we promptly hit 29,000. So thank you, Hodl or not. If it takes a superstitious thing, if it takes a jinx like that, if you're superstitious enough to think that, you know, what, the minute you buy Bitcoin, it's gonna go down in price. So the minute someone forecasts that uh, the bottom is in, it's gonna drop kind of thing, that, then uh, thank you. Thank you for lowering that price so we can stack some more cheap sets. Back to the vital statistics, Bitcoin currently is looking at a market capitalization of $566 billion. That's about $12 billion less than last week, which is, you know, chump change, right? That's, uh, that's, that's, that's almost nothing. Bitcoin has basically been in the five and a half, 500 and a half, 500, and, you know, 
in the mid $500 billion range for a month, more than a month, almost a month and a half. Uh, so Bitcoin, despite what you might have heard in the media, uh, it's really stable. I'm going to get into this again later, but you know, I said on multiple episodes that that normies like magic numbers. They like round numbers and that $30,000 was the next magic number for Bitcoin. And that when we saw Bitcoin blast through $30,000, the media would start taking notice again. And they did, right? Everybody was amazed Bitcoin is above $30,000. And now, of course, that magic number holds true as well. Once Bitcoin dipped below 30,000, the media notices as well. And it's like, oh my God, Bitcoin's dead again. Uh, it's just silly normie psychology. Uh, and and that is that is all that is. If you, if you just look at numbers and you zoom out, uh, Bitcoin is adding new blocks every 10 minutes or so and continuing up and to the right uh, in the grand scheme of things. If you value your wealth in gold, in shiny yellow rocks, in Peter Schiff bucks, it will currently cost you 14.6 ounces of gold. That's 14 of those one ounce gold coins, 14 and a half, 14.6 ounces of gold to purchase just one Bitcoin. Um, that is up significantly since the beginning of the year. That is like two full gold coins more than it would take to buy just one Bitcoin than when Peter Schiff said that gold was winning and that Bitcoin was dead again. So thank you for the bottom signal. Uh, once again, Peter, uh, I know you're just a troll, but, uh, you know, again, if you're superstitious and if you believe that Peter that there's a reverse Peter Schiff or reverse Jim Craner play in effect, then, hey, thanks, guys because we get to stack a little bit cheaper sets than we would if Bitcoin had continued up to 40,000 or 50,000 or who knows where. If you value your wealth in pizza, one Bitcoin will currently purchase you 1,732 Papa John's pizzas. That is a heck of a lot more pizza than Laszlo got on the very first Bitcoin pizza day where he paid 10,000 Bitcoin for two large Papa John's pizzas. In fact, that's more, that's more than four years and nine months worth of one pizza a day. So, just one Bitcoin will feed a family of four, four years and nine months uh, with just one Bitcoin. And that's a lot of food security, and that's a heck of a lot of pizza for just one Bitcoin. So the Bitcoin pizza index uh, is up and to the right as well. And speaking of TikTok next block, uh, the mempool has cleared up quite a bit since the last podcast. As you know, ever since the whole ordinals and inscriptions thing, we went from basically a clear mempool to a completely choked mempool not as bad as before segwit came along in 2017 when you know there were hundreds of blocks worth of transactions pending in the mempool but last week there were 74 blocks where the transactions uh pending in the mempool and that's dropped to 14 blocks so that's the lowest we've seen in more than two months uh it was 74 blocks last week 66 blocks before that 61 blocks before that 68 blocks before that 61 blocks a week before that so uh, that's a dramatic drop-off in on-chain transactions pending. So uh, I don't know if that's just a fluke or if it's because we've had this this pullback and things are calming down, you know, entering that consolidation phase again where the hype has died off for a little bit. Uh, maybe the ordinals and inscriptions are, have died down a bit, the hype around those. Of course they would, right? Even if you're a fan of ordinals and inscriptions and you think they're great tech and that it's going to change Bitcoin or, or become a thing, if there's, you know, all kinds of new use cases for ordinals inscriptions that we're going to discover one day. You know, anytime there's anything new, there's always a lot of hype around it. It's like here in Cocoa Beach on the space coast of Florida. Anytime a new restaurant opens, uh, for like the first two weeks that restaurant is open, the whole town tries to eat there like every night. It's really nuts. It's almost like, you know, 
it's an obsession. And uh, then a couple weeks later, then it's just another restaurant. Regardless of how good the food is or not, they move on to the next great thing. Uh, and so that's the same with anything. It's not unique to here on the Space Coast. It's not used to Bitcoin. It's not used to, you know, it's not unique to, uh, to restaurants. It's not unique to Bitcoin. It's just human psychology. So it stands to reason that there would be a little less excitement around the ordinals and inscriptions eventually. Uh, you know that it would that it would that it would die down a little bit. The, just the, even if ordinals inscriptions don't die off, the hype would die down a bit. So along those lines, with only 14 blocks where the transactions pending in the mempool, the fee estimators are now saying that it will only take two sats per byte, two sats per byte to guarantee that your on-chain transaction is included within one day. And they're saying now that one sat byte per byte transactions will clear within a week, and that is a big improvement from the five sats per byte last week. Although, to guarantee your transaction is included to the next block, they're still recommending 16 sats per byte for a fee, and that was only 18 sats per byte last week. So even with the block clearing up, uh, the fees are still a little elevated, but not in the 27 or 30 sat per byte range that we were looking at just three or four weeks ago. So uh, things are cooling off in the fee market. Uh, so transactions are getting cheap again. If you have uh, UTXOs that you want to consolidate or any Bitcoin you want to move around now might be the time to do so especially if you want to give that one sat per byte transaction a try if you have a day or two a couple days to wait for that transaction to get confirmed if you're transferring from one hardware wallet to another hardware wallet or you're you know just consolidating to the same hardware wallet but you know multiple utxos uh, you, you can wait you know it doesn't have to be confirmed right away uh, and of course if you use replace by fee if you get panicky a little jittery that your transaction hasn't confirmed you can bump that fee up later uh, so that's cool. So along those lines, uh, the transaction volume statistic that you know I like to follow, Bitcoin's 24-hour 20, uh, average on-chain transaction rate is down quite a bit from last week. Still a healthy amount of transactions, averaging 3.51 transactions per second, well above the 3.14 or 3.15 transactions per second that I like to see indicating that there's healthy activity on-chain. But, you know, down from the 3.89 transactions per second we were at last week. In theory, their Bitcoin should only be able to handle about four transactions per second on chain. Uh, we've seen it come in a little higher than that because, um, you know, sometimes blocks are coming in faster than, than they're supposed to as well. So, but right now we've got a solid 3.51 transaction per second average. Uh, that is decreased a bit from last week, which would correspond to, you know, the price, the pre, the, the price uh, decreasing as well because... You know, when there's less hype and less, uh, less FOMO and less people buying in, there's less on-chain activity. All right. So once again, I'd like to uh, say thank you to those of you listening to this podcast on your favorite podcasting 2.0 app. Uh, once again, we do not have any boost to read unless somebody slung one in there under the wire that I haven't read yet. So if I'm missing a boost, I do apologize. Let me know. Reach out to me on Twitter, uh, you know, at... Uh, BTC Bulletin Pod and let me know, DM me or whatever, and let me know if you sent one that I didn't see. Because sometimes, if you're not using Fountain, for example, if you're using Breeze, uh, it, it can be hard to see those transactions. They can get buried, uh, especially since Fountain will pay you sats to listen to some of your favorite podcasts. Uh, and so if, if they're streaming you a sat or two a minute for listening, and you're looking through your history every minute, there's one sat, one sat, one sat, one sat. And, and that might bury a boost. So if I did miss your boost, I apologize. But as of this moment, it looks like we do not have any boost to read. But thank you for those of us who have supported us in the past and who will continue to support us 
in the future. Uh, oh, I guess I left out a couple of vital statistics I like to cover, and that is we are less than a day away from the next Bitcoin mining difficulty, and we're going to have an increase in difficulty again. It's going to get a little more, little bit harder to mine the next block, and that is obviously because more hash rate or more advanced hash rate, uh, more advanced equipment has contributed to an increased hash rate. Uh, and we're looking at an increase of anywhere between 1.5 to 2.13%, so not a dramatic difficulty increase. Um, but that is because blocks are currently averaging 9 minutes and 51 seconds. As you know, Bitcoin is uh, it's written to target an average block time of 10 minutes between blocks. Obviously, that's an average. Sometimes they come in faster. Sometimes they come in slower. But over a period of 2016 blocks, uh, we get a fairly reliable average. I mean, that's like flipping a coin 2016 times, right? If you flip a coin once, you might get, or twice, you might get heads two times in a row. But if you flip a coin 2016 times in a row, you're pretty much going to get 1,008 heads and 1,008 tails approximately. Uh, and so by averaging those blocks out over 2016 block, block times over 2016 blocks, you get fairly reliable average. And right now that's an averaging of 9 minutes and 51 seconds. That's two seconds faster than last week when they were coming at 9 minutes and 53 seconds. So that is also indicative of a steadily increasing hash rate. Uh, and that's good. And the mining industry appears to be doing pretty well. Uh, the Bitcoin mining stock prices, if you follow that sort of thing, have been increasing. Um, I don't remember what the two largest companies are trading at right now, but uh, Marathon, for example, had been trading as cheap as $3 a share at one point in time, down from around $40 a share uh, before the bear market started. And I think they they got up to around $12 a share at one point. Um, they're more trading probably more around $10 a share right now because their prices have pulled back just like the price of Bitcoin has pulled back. Not a stock show, but it is pertinent to Bitcoin because it's uh, indicate, indicative, indicate, in indicator, <laughs> indicative of how much hash power, how much computing power is out there being dedicated to securing the Bitcoin network. Uh, you know, and the more hash power dedicated to the network, the harder it is to attack. And you know, four years ago, when we didn't have anywhere near this much hash rate to attack, then you know the network was pretty much invincible. It would take multiple countries putting you know, putting, pooling their supercomputer power together to even possibly rewrite just maybe one block. Um, and, and the more miners and the more uh, equipment that gets added, the more equipment that gets upgraded, the more secure that is, the harder Bitcoin would be to attack. All right, back to where I was thanking you for listening on your favorite podcasting 2.0 app. And um, one thing has changed since last week. Our geographic distribution of listeners has changed for the first time in four weeks. Uh, and that is because Sweden has bumped up a couple notches. Last week, Sweden was in ninth place with only 1% of our listeners. Sweden, you guys have bumped up to sixth place. You've basically doubled your number of listeners. Uh, you make up 2% of the show's listeners now. I'm sorry I don't speak Swedish. Uh, and I won't insult you with a Muppet impression. But thank you to those of you listening in Sweden. The breakdown is as follows, 51% of you are listening from the United States, 13% of you are listening from Argentina, buenos dias amigos, 7% of you are listening from Deutschland, from Germany, so guten Abend, and uh, 3% of you are listening from Luxembourg, guten Abend to you as well, or uh, I don't even remember how to say hello in French, bonjour, right, or how do I say, uh, I used to speak just a tiny bit of French, I never took any French formally. But I have a lot of French friends, or I did when I was younger. Uh, you know, when I was in, when I was a kid, when I was in high school and in college, 
I had a lot to do with the exchange student program. Uh, I was never an exchange student, but I, I had some ties, some really close ties uh, to the AFS program and a couple other, a couple of the other exchanges. Uh, so I got to meet a lot of people from all over the world, and, and uh, I had a lot of friends from everywhere, but um, I did have a couple of French friends teach me how to say a few things, and I, of course, have forgotten almost all of that, so I apologize to our French-speaking listeners in French Canada or in Luxembourg, but thank you for coming in at number four on our demographic listener distribution list. Number five, that is... Our amigos in Colombia, thank you. Hola, buenas noches, or buenos dias, amigos in Colombia, with 3% of our listeners are coming from. As I previously mentioned, 2% of you are listening in Sweden, 2% of you are listening in Canada, 2% of you are listening in Spain, 2% of you are listening in Venezuela, and 1% of you are listening in the United Kingdom. So basically, everything stayed the same except Sweden doubled their listeners. So, uh, cool. Hello, guys in Sweden. Sorry, I don't speak Swedish. I'll try and learn something for next time if you guys maintain your rank. All right, so on to the news today. Uh, the biggest news always seems to be price. There's a lot of FUD out there. If you saw that Hillary Clinton clip that's been going around the last couple of days, Hillary Clinton is on the bandwagon now trying to compete with Elizabeth Warren to see who can be the screechiest, uh, most absurd uh, anti-Bitcoiner. Of course, Elizabeth Warren is a sitting senator, and Hillary Clinton is just a soccer mom in upstate New York. I'm kidding. Uh, you know, but she ran for president a couple of years ago. She was a senator from New York. She was the first lady of the United States, and she hopes to be president one day, probably. Because if you know anything about the Clintons, uh, they don't just go away and retire. So I wouldn't be surprised to see her throw her hat in the ring running for president, at least if it looks like Joe Biden is not going to run or if it looks like Joe Biden doesn't have a shot at the nomination. Uh, dollars to donuts, the Clintons will raise their ugly heads again. Uh, and she certainly came out gunning for Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. Uh, so, you know, I spoke a couple weeks ago about how the Democratic Party is increasingly lining up as anti-Bitcoin and how that is a huge mistake. Because there are a lot of you out there who consider yourselves left of center or Democrats who are Bitcoiners. And I know it's irritating. I have plenty of friends. I mean, I, you know, I come from a fairly leftist old school Democrat family, not, not socialists, but, you know, I have some Midwestern farmers, some old school uh, Kennedy Democrat types in my family. And they're, they're just, you know, died in the wool Democrats, union Democrats, whatever the case may be. And they're not going to change their mind uh, regardless, uh, or maybe unless something really big comes along and none of them are Bitcoiners. Uh, but for those who are, you know, seeing the left line up, seeing the Democrats line up against Bitcoin is just, uh, you know, Bitcoin could become one of those single-issue voter issues like like abortion or the Second Amendment, you know. Uh, if Bitcoin is that important to you, and I, it is to me, you know, because Bitcoin is hope for the world, right? It's going to bank the unbanked. It's going to stop the, 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 the theft that uh, monetary devaluation and inflation steals from you, steals from the middle class, steals from the people that the Democratic Party purport to care about the most, right? So it's mind-boggling perplexing to see them ganging up on Bitcoin, other than the fact that, um, you know, it's something they can't control. And so if they really are hardcore authoritarians, naturally they would be against Bitcoin. But you wouldn't think they'd be dumb enough to be this vocal about it. Anyway, uh, the anti-Bitcoin FUD out there is, uh, is as strong as ever, whether it's the New York Times BS piece we spoke about last week with them trying to do a hit piece on 
Bitcoin mining and the environment. And that looks like that's backfired at bare minimum for the normies. It's just a nothing burger. I don't, I don't think it got any traction. I don't think anyone cares, but amongst the Bitcoin community, uh, it has turned into the, into a meme, the stop the presses or change the paper hashtags. Uh, there's a lot of funny stuff out there uh, because, you know, if, if they want to call Bitcoin antiquated, outdated tech, you know, they've been printing newspapers on, on murdered trees for 200 years. And if you know anything about making paper, if you've ever driven by or lived near a pulp mill, they are some of the most disgusting. And it's not just the fact that, they're, that there's a lot of chemicals and a lot of pollution and effluent involved in producing paper and a lot of greenhouse gas emissions, electricity wasted producing paper. Uh, they stink. I mean, if you start, I, I used to drive by one in northern Arizona frequently, and you got within 20 miles of uh, Snowflake, Arizona, and you could just smell the stink, and you had to make sure your outside air was turned off, and it was just nasty till you were 20 miles past Snowflake on the other side. Uh, paper mills are just disgusting things, and nobody reads the paper anymore. Probably Joe Biden and a few boomers are the only people out there sitting down in the morning actually reading a physical paper. I mean, papers not only are they not only is just nobody reading them i mean it's they're outdated they're it's yesterday's news they printed the thing last night by the time it gets thrown onto your doorstep and you'd pick it up and bring it inside the world is a different place so if you want to talk antiquated tech new york times you are the antiquated tech it's really really funny to see them try and you know uh try and put the shoe on the other foot and make it seem like bitcoin is antiquated wasteful tech when uh when they're one of the most polluting industries in the world they're they're their pollution it's not just their it's just not the, not just their carbon footprint they're polluting the water they're polluting the air uh they're chopping down trees right so if you want to sequester carbon the biggest carbon sequestering technology on the planet are trees you know plants they breathe carbon dioxide and they exhale oxygen and i know the people out there that are trying to defend the new york times are like well they're planting the trees and they're replacing them but come on it takes 15 or 20 years for those trees to grow back you can't tell me that a sapling that they planted is going to uh, soak up as much carbon dioxide as a 20-year-old, you know, 50, 100-foot-tall tree. So uh, I think the New York Times hit piece has basically gone away as far as the average normie is concerned. They, they, it's a nothing burger. Most of them probably didn't even hear about it. But in the Bitcoin communities on crypto and Bitcoin Twitter, uh, people are mocking the New York Times, and that's just fun to see. But as I mentioned, uh, the magic number of Bitcoin falling below 30,000 has the mainstream media calling that you know, calling for the end of Bitcoin again, as is representative of a this headline in Business Insider just an hour ago or so. Panic in crypto land, Bitcoin dives, Ether sinks, altcoins crumble. Four experts on the path ahead. Bitcoin dipped below $30,000 on Wednesday as the wider crypto market experienced a downturn. So, you know, pay no attention to the fact that Bitcoin was $15,000 a coin in December and that we are currently double. 200% return in four months, but you know, it's down a couple hundred dollars. So, oh my God, the sky is falling. Bitcoin's dead again, right? CNBC ran this headline a couple hours ago. Bitcoin and Ether fall as investors weigh persistent inflation and rising interest rates. That is a completely moronic headline because inflation and rising rates are things that are hurting the common person, things that are hurting the economy, things that are devaluing, decreasing the purchasing power of your dollars, things that Bitcoin was designed to fix. So, you know, in the short term, when you're really comfortable, if you're in a country like the United States or in Europe, where you've got a solid 
quote-unquote solid fiat to rely on for the meantime you know solid compared to like you know the argentine peso or the bolivar uh you know you you have a harder time seeing this than people that are in countries where they were experiencing you know 100 percent inflation runaway hyperinflation but uh, in the long term when all fiat currencies trend to zero all fiat currencies have always trended towards collapse in the history of fiat currency in the long term Bitcoin is the sort of thing that people will rush into. Bitcoin is designed to protect you from exactly that. So inflation and rising interest rates are not the cause of Bitcoin pulling back. Obviously, people taking profits, uh, it's a natural response. Every time Bitcoin has a big run-up, there's always a little bit of a pullback, even if we're only beginning the bull run. You know, after the halving, when we go blast off to 100,000, 200,000, who knows where, there will be retracements. Bitcoin might blast up to 150 and then pull back to 120 and then blast up to 200. Who knows? I don't have a crystal ball, but what I can tell you is there will be pullbacks and it doesn't mean the bull run's going to be over and it doesn't mean Bitcoin is dead again. This amusing headline in Coin Journal: Interactive Brokers Chairman on Bitcoin. It's worth nothing, but I own some. Apparently, Thomas Peterfee, uh, the CEO, the chairman of Interactive Brokers, uh, has been quoted as saying, as far as I'm concerned, it's worth nothing. But I own some, even though I believe it's worth nothing, because other people believe it's worth something. Uh, yeah, that's what a money is, right? Uh, the U.S. dollar has absolutely no value. It's maybe a penny's worth of copper in a penny, or a penny's worth of paper or cloth in a U.S. dollar, and it only has the value that people believe it has. Um, you know, gold is only worth something because people believe it's worth something. There's no inherent intrinsic value to gold. You can make jewelry out of it, sure. You can make electronics out of it, sure. But that doesn't have an inherent fixed dollar, dollar price. It's only worth what people believe it's worth. It's, in, it's quote, unquote, inherent value in jewelry is only because people think it's pretty. You know, it, 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 Bitcoin, it, Bitcoin, gold as a, as a collectible, as a shiny, neat object that people made jewelry and crowns and decorated their, you know, doilies and dobbles and bobbles with uh, only had value because people thought that's shiny i think it's valuable that's nothing uh, there's no law of physics or law of nature this is gold is value people gave it value people saw this shiny rock laying in the sand and go oh cool i want that and they they believed it was worth something uh, so that's just a ludicrous quote it's worth nothing but people think it's worth not worth something so therefore it's worth something yeah it is and obviously he says he owns bitcoin so he gets it even though he doesn't get it Maybe he's a boomer and he's just having a hard time grokking the concept. He's just so used to waking up in the morning and, you know, reading his New York Times in the, you know, in the world being uh, the way it is that he just doesn't know how to think outside the box. A lot of people, when they're really comfortable, you know, they take things for granted, you know. Uh, I like to say there's no vegetarians in an apocalypse, kind of like the phrase there's no atheists in a foxhole. You know, you don't really... Uh, you, you take things for granted when you're comfortable. So when you live in a society where you can go to the Whole Foods and buy your tofu and your hummus or, you know, your, your, your soy burger, uh, you can feel comfortable doing that. And you can virtue signal and say, I'm saving the world because I'm not eating cows. Uh, but if you're living, you know, if there's a dust bowl or you're living in a third world country or if you're living or, or if there's an EMP attack and... You know, when society collapses, you're going to eat whatever you can eat. When people are starving, they don't worry about whether Bambi's, you know, got big doe eyes. They say, they, look, that's, that's venison running around and I'm going to eat it. But I digress.
another headline in CNBC I was going to talk about. Legislation or lawsuits? The spot Bitcoin ETF debate forges ahead. I don't care about ETFs, guys. You know, maybe if there were a spot Bitcoin ETF in the United States, and that's the only place we're talking about, there are spot ETFs already in the world, maybe a new ETF would, would soak up some Bitcoin, and it means that the price of Bitcoin might go up a little bit temporarily. But we don't want Wall Street controlling Bitcoin, right? I mean, Bitcoin's there to bank the unbanked. It's to help us, you know, preserve our wealth. It's to help us establish generational wealth. And the less Bitcoin owned by banks and hedge funds and exchange-traded funds, the better. So who cares whether, uh, you know, we get a spot Bitcoin ETF in the United States. And that's pretty, you know, that's pretty U.S.-centric to even give a rat's ass about, uh, you know, not having a Bitcoin ETF in the United States. Because, wow, I don't know if you heard that or not, but somebody decided they want to uh, show off on their new motorcycle or whatever. Uh, I'm about i don't know a couple blocks away from highway a1a here in florida so uh, you can't normally hear the traffic so that was definitely somebody that really wants you to look at them and see how important they are that they can make that much noise not just the motorcycles this could be a lot of fun to ride a bike but the people that make noise on purpose they sit in a motorcycle and go, vroom, 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 look at me 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 like that south park episode uh that was loud uh, and it was unnecessarily loud you normally can't hear uh cars from where I'm at, even outside the studio. So I apologize for that schmuck if you heard that. All right, so where was I? We don't need ETF, we don't need an ETF, and even if we don't get an ETF in the United States, that's U.S. loss. There's nothing preventing, you know, uh, a third of the world's population in India or China one day from, from having an ETF or buying Bitcoin, right? You know, there's almost as many people in Nigeria as there are in the United States. The United States only has 300-something, less than 400 million people. Uh, and there's billions of people on the planet, so uh, it's pretty arrogant to assume that Bitcoin is, is can't go anywhere unless the United States approves an exchange-traded fund holding Bitcoin. On the interesting positive news, on the, you know, I just got done saying how Democrats are lining up against Bitcoin. Well, one Democrat is not, and that Democrat is Robert F. Kennedy Jr., the son of assassinated uh, Attorney General and Senator Robert F. Kennedy. Uh, and he is a staunch supporter of Bitcoin. And as of today, he's officially launched his bid for president. Uh, that's really cool uh, to have a Bitcoiner in the Democratic Party uh, running. Now, a lot of people think he has zero chance of winning because he's anti-establishment at this point in time. And that's, man, pop the popcorn because the, the media, they like to wax on about, they like to wax poetic about Camelot, right? Remember John and Jackie and Robert. And the Kennedy dynasty, you know, and, and uh, you know, they, they were worshiping JFK Jr. before he was killed in that tragic airplane crash. Uh, you know, he was going to be president one day. And they probably would be worshiping RFK Jr. as well, except for he's been outspoken uh, on a number of issues for a long time. He's definitely, well, he's definitely a Kennedy Democrat one way or another, right? Even if he believes something different than his dad and his uncle believed. He's still a Kennedy Democrat by default, but he appears to be an old-school Democrat. When you listen to him, he appears to be more of a libertarian. Uh, anyway, he's running for president, and the media is savaging him. I saw a tweet from Adam Meister, Techwald, earlier today saying the media was going to ignore him, and I think wrong. The media is going to crucify him because the worst thing that the mainstream media can have is, uh, is a Democrat that's not a leftist, you know, a centrist, someone who doesn't toe the party line. 
but nonetheless, RFK officially launched his bid. RFK Jr. officially launched his bid for for, pres- for the presidential nomination. And the headline is already dis- dismissive. The headline is, quote, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. launches unlikely presidential bid backed by 14% of Biden vote. Wow. Not RFK launches bid. RFK launches a bid. He's an outsider. It won't happen. And he only gets 14% of Biden's vote. Uh, okay. So um, the, the media, even the, the very, uh, even from the very get-go, the very announcement of his candidacy there, they're 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 minimizing him. They're marginalizing him. It's not it's not RFK Jr., the son of RFK, the the nephew of John F. Kennedy, you know, a historic political dynasty in the United States is running for president. No, it's unlikely unlikely presidential presidential challenger, uh, RFK Jr., who is backed by fourteen percent of Biden voters, is running for president. You know, fourteen percent of Biden voters is a big deal if it if it peels voters away from Biden and, and hands them to the, you know, and, and lets a, a Republican challenger uh, win with 14% fewer votes. Uh, but it's obviously 14% is not enough to win a nomination or to, or, or even to win a, a or, or to win the presidency. So they're trivializing RFK Jr. Uh, however, I'm excited about his presidency. And more importantly, I'm excited because he sees like we do, he thinks like we do when it comes to the promise of Bitcoin. At least he says he does. He put this tweet out on April 10th, so it was already out last week. I might have talked about it. I don't think I did. Uh, it's a fairly lengthy tweet, but I'm going to read it all because it's all about Bitcoin, basically. And RFK tweeted this. RFK, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. tweeted this on April 10th. The claim that FedNow is not the first step towards a CBDC would be more easily digestible were we not aware of the Biden administration's steady barrage of hostile broadsides against cryptocurrencies. Between 2008 to 22, the Fed partnered with a handful of big banks to to print 10 trillion, 10 centuries of wealth in 15 years. A bonanza for banksters, cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin give the public an escape route from the splatter zone when this bubble invariably bursts. So the White House is colluding with the banksters to keep us all trapped in the bubble of profiteering and control. In his February 8th post on Pirate Wires, Nick Carter, so RFK Jr. is quoting Nick Carter, Nick Carter describes how the White House has organized bankers to participate in a sophisticated, widespread crackdown to destroy the crypto industry. Carter describes 15 incidents where, the, where President Biden has weaponized the FDIC, the OCC, and the DOJ to force crypto-friendly banks to close their doors to crypto firms since December 3rd. The recent crackdown on crypto blocks exit ramps, removes alternative rails, and strengthens government control over both the financial and political systems. We should be wary since CBDCs are the ultimate mechanisms for social surveillance and control. As Balaji, I'm sorry, Balaji, um, says, the distinction between FedNow and a CBDC is important from a technical standpoint, but not from a civil liberties standpoint. Balaji compares FedNow to, quote, a virus that has evolved to evade recognition by changing its sequence without really changing its function. So savaging both the Biden administration and the CBDC concept uh, clearly a Bitcoiner, or clearly he believes in the promise of Bitcoin. Much like Christine Lagarde, he calls Bitcoin an escape route. Christine Lagarde and Elizabeth Warren use that terminology negatively, uh, and Robert F. Kennedy Jr. gives it its appropriate 
do it's that it's a positive it's it's uh, it's it's hopeful it's optimistic it's a tool to help people avoid quote the splatter zone when the bubble bursts so that's cool and uh, it's kind of a little exciting uh, you know I'm not necessarily a uh, a huge fan of the Kennedys uh, per se I'm, I don't swoon over them like the media used to uh, but it's kind of cool to see a Kennedy running for president in our lifetime um, that's it's different right it's definitely not same old same old when you when I mean when we were looking at the last presidential election but before Donald two presidential elections ago before Donald Trump got the nominee and it was looking like Jeb Bush was going to be the presidential nominee on the Republican Party and Hillary Clinton of course was the Democratic Party nominee it was like 350 million people in this country and the best we can do is Bush versus Clinton right another Bush and another Clinton 350 million people you can't come up with someone other than those two political dynasty powerhouse families basically those two uh, insiders two very much swamp creatures you know one Republican swamp creature one Democrat swamp creature to run for president Uh, so you know RFK jr. is something different and that's refreshing even if you don't agree with his politics and I don't necessarily agree with him on everything. I, there's a lot I probably don't agree with him on. But I agree with him on Bitcoin, and that's really cool. Speaking of the SEC and the federal government, if you watched Gary Gensler's uh, testimony before the, uh, before the Congress oh, yesterday, was it yesterday or the day before? I think it was yesterday. What a political two-step. Uh, he was asked repeatedly, Interrupted over and over again when he refused to answer the question, saying, I'm asking you specifically, is Ether a security? And he would not answer that question. It was several minutes long. The, the clips are floating around out there. Uh, he, he legitimately turned uh, Gensler's own words against him, said, you've, you know, Gensler said, we can't make a specific uh, decision. He's like, well, you've already made a specific decision about Bitcoin. I'm asking you, uh, what's your, is, is Ether a security? He says, well, that depends on the laws. Is okay. Well, you're the chairman of the SEC. According to your understanding of the laws, right now, as you sit in that chair, is Ether Security, and what a weasel. You know, I'm I, I'm not a big fan of the government uh, punishing people in general. I think you should stay out of my way, and there should be as small and little government as possible. I'm definitely a libertarian when it comes to that viewpoint. But why are we holding these hearings if you don't have to answer the questions? If you were you know, if you were in traffic court, if you got a speeding ticket and you pulled that kind of shenanigans in traffic court, the judge would hold you in contempt of court. You get fined. You'd probably go to jail, spend the night in the local pokey uh, for refusing to answer the question, right? And there's such a thing as contempt of Congress, uh, but not the contempt law. The contempt is in the complete disrespect for us, for we the people, right? I'm the chairman of the SEC and F you. I don't have to answer your question, basically, is what he said. He refused to answer a direct question. Uh, from the governing body that's supposed to oversee him. So, I mean, I know the Securities and Exchange Commission is a part of the executive branch, but, you know, we have a three-party, not three-party, we have a three-tier system in the United States, and it's supposed to be congressional oversight. And they, it was a mockery. But uh, if you read between the lines, Gary Gensler told you absolutely everything you need to know by his non-answer. So I guess that was useful. Unless you're a business and you're looking for, quote-unquote, regulatory clarity, boy, you didn't get that. Um, but you know exactly what he's thinking. Uh, he just wants to have his cake and eat it too. He's going to come for he's going to come for, for he's going to come for crypto, and he's not going to come for crypto. Typical bureaucrat. He's going to want to pick winners and losers, and he's not going to give you a black and white answer because if he says um, 
yes or no, that means when he wants to treat some other project differently, uh, he can't, right? So what a schmuck. If you thought he was good for Bitcoin because he taught a course on Bitcoin at MIT, uh, he's a weasel, and that should watch the clip, dig it up, watch it. It's 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 nothing unique. I mean, if you watched here any any hearings on any subject, you're not going to get a straight answer because it's the political two step. Um, you know, he's a swamp creature as well, and he's a freaking attorney, not an economist. So he's going to act like an attorney. And attorneys, you know, the favorite law school. The uh, law school quote is when, when you know, a student asks a question about a particular law or a particular uh, court ruling. Uh, it doesn't matter what the question is. The answer is always, it depends. So, all right. Let's get some more positive news. Michael Saylor has been out there uh, pumping lightning. He tweeted yesterday or the day before, lightning will be as common as email. Uh, and apparently he's been using, he's been pumping uh, lightning addresses, lightningaddress.com. Uh, I've said many times, I said just last episode, that in a few years when people say Bitcoin, they're going to mean the Lightning Network or whatever third party or whatever second or third layer application we're using, that, you know, only countries, only banks and only mega whales will be using on-chain transactions. They'll only be using it to settle up, you know, ledgers uh, annually or, or quarterly or whatever. Uh, they're not going to use it for day-to-day -day purchases. They're going to be using Lightning, second layer solutions. And a few years from now, I don't know how long that is, whether it's the next cycle or whether it's 10 years from now or 50 years from now. At some point in the future when Bitcoin adoption has reached, um, not even hyper-Bitcoinization, but it's become more mainstream, when people say Bitcoin, they're just going to mean lightning. If they say, hey, can you send me some Bitcoin? They're going to say, sure, and they're going to whip out their lightning app, and they're going to send you uh, a lightning payment to your lightning wallet, and you're going to say thank you. And you got Bitcoin, right? Because, you know, you did. But they're not going to even think about on-chain. That's going to be... You know, like, um, like, 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 when when most people are using the dollar right now, they're you know they're, when when they're paying people, they're going to use the dollar. They don't do we don't we don't wire each other money. If you owe me twenty bucks because I bet, you know, on the on the NBA playoffs and you and you lost, you're not gonna you're not gonna send me a wire. You know, you're gonna give me a cash uh, or PayPal me or cash at me or Venmo me, right? Uh, so Bitcoin is going to be. Uh, Bitcoin is going to be the, the the foundation, the layer, but it's going to be only used for settling uh, or reconciling huge, huge sums of money. All right. I guess I've already covered this a little bit, but uh, there was an interesting article um, about the uh, pulp and paper industry-based pollutants. We've already we've already discussed this, but Stephen Lubka, you know, he's been railing on the New York Times from that hit piece on Bitcoin mining. Um, and I've already covered that, so we don't we don't really need to get into just how just how polluting and, and awful the uh, the pulp and paper industry is. But I'm going to quote a little bit here. Uh, this is from Science Direct: Pulp and paper industry based pollutants. The pulp and paper industry, in contrast to other manufacturing industries, consumes a large amount of energy. Huh? Like Bitcoin, right? Consumes a large amount of energy. So, hello, pot. Um, if you're gonna if you're gonna accuse Bitcoin of wasting energy, uh, they're they're actually consuming far more energy than the Bitcoin network consumes, and emits pollutants along with greenhouse gases. So not just CO2, not just carbon footprint. They're flat out polluting the water, polluting the air. The waste generated from pulp and paper industry causes severe harm to aquatic life, disturbs the food chain. It leads it disturbs the natural food chain, but it also leaches into your food. You know, gets in the water, it gets in the soil. 
disturbs the food chain also carries various health implications. In this review, we have highlighted some of the primary pollutants released from the industry and their health hazards. Strict action and implementation of the regulatory model is required in, the, in this industrial sector for environmental compliance. Uh, blah, blah, blah. The environmental pollution caused by the pollutants poses a threat to aquatic life as well as to plants and human beings. The effects of the pollutants on the environment has been assessed many times, but their mitigation still has significant challenges, meaning you can't solve for them. Like, you know, Bitcoin mining, you can mine with hydropower, you can mine with wind power, but when it comes to mining paper, you can't make paper without effing up the environment. There's just no way around it. Uh, and that's what this scientific paper gets into. Anyway, long and the short of it is, Bitcoin may use electricity, but the New York Times uses at least as much electricity, and they're cutting down millions of trees to make paper to print their antiquated technology newspaper, uh, and they're polluting the soil, they're polluting the air, they're polluting the water in doing so. So you're a hypocrite, New York Times. Uh, obviously, they're just doing the bidding of their political masters because, man, the media is just, <clears throat> they're anti-Bitcoin because they're, the American media is just, they're cheerleading totalitarianism. They're totalitarianism. You know, with this whole uh, leak, leak documents, Pentagon leaks thing, the, the was not uh, Discord, the, the gamer that leaked all the documents about the Ukraine war, etc. He was turned in by the media. You know, the media is supposed to champion this sort of thing. Remember the Pentagon Papers, you know, back in the Nixon administration? Remember... You know, any other leak where, the, where the, the papers exposed some big government scandal, exposed government, government corruption, they refuse to tell you who their sources are. You know, reporters have gone to jail to protect the anonymity of their sources. And here, they're, and, they, and they fought a Supreme Court case saying they have the right to publish whatever they want, that the government can't preemptively prevent them from publishing with the prior restraint rulings. Uh, and this is just the exact opposite of what that, of what that journalistic ethics uh, and code and code should say so. I mean, screw the New York Times. You know they're 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 only useful for lining the bottom of my parrot cage. All right. Well, I think that is all I'm going to get into before I waste too much more time this afternoon because I've already been ranting for probably 45 minutes or so, better than 45 minutes. And the real reason we're here is because it is DCA Wednesday, and we need to grow our stack. And DCA Wednesday is, DCA is short for dollar cost averaging. And of course, dollar cost averaging is an investment strategy where you invest your money in equal portions at regular intervals, regardless of price. For example, this will be our 91st stack. We started stacking $20 every Wednesday back on July 28th, 2021. So far we've stacked $90. We've converted 1,800 US dollars into Bitcoin, into Satoshis, including $40.95 worth of fees. That has gotten us a stack of 6,242,255 sats at an average cost basis of $28,835.73. And today we're going to grow that stack by stacking another $20 worth of dirty fiat and converting it into Satoshis. And to do so, as usual, we're going to use the Cash App. And I don't need to pimp Cash App. They're not a sponsor of this show. But if you've been following the show, you know I think they're the easiest way to stack sats when you're stacking small quantities like $20, you do you, do your own research, pick an app that, that suits your needs best, we're going to use Cash App. So clicking on the Bitcoin logo, clicking on buy, tapping $20, tapping confirm, and boom! Just like that, we purchased another 66,643 sats. 
That is going to raise our stack to 6,308,889 sats. It is increasing our average cost basis a tiny bit. Uh, we purchased at a, well, Bitcoin was ringing in at $29,335.40 when we made the purchase. So up a tiny bit in the 50 minutes I've been talking. But by the time you add in the fee, it's really the equivalent that basically paid $30,010 US dollars for the sats we bought. So that's raising our average cost basis a tiny bit for the second week in a row, only by $12.41 this week. Obviously, if Bitcoin goes down in price, we'll be able to both stack more sats and lower that average cost basis. Um, but I'm not overly optimistic that, uh, that that's going to happen. Who knows where the price is going to be? Maybe the price of Bitcoin dips again, but most likely that train has sailed. That ship has left the station. Uh, and we're going to be paying more for Bitcoin because, uh, you know, it's only a matter of time before Bitcoin retakes its all-time high of 69,000 and then sets a new all-time high of who knows what. And even after it, you know, it goes to the, 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 the parabola to the top, it sets its, you know, its ultimate new all-time high for this cycle and has maybe a 75 or 80% retracement again, it'll still probably not fall back to, you know, anywhere near 30,000. For example, you know, if Bitcoin... If Bitcoin goes all the way up to two hundred thousand dollars this next uh, this next bull run, and then drops by eighty percent, you know that would be dropping by one hundred and sixty thousand dollars. So it would, it would drop back to forty. So we'd still be buying, you know, for ten thousand dollars cheaper now per coin than than we would then. So I think uh, we're fortunate to have stacked as much as we did at the prices we did, and it doesn't matter. That's the beauty of DCA. You know, we're going to average. Uh, we're going to dollar cost average by by buying across a spectrum of time. Um, we're averaging out um, the highs and the lows. So yeah, we'll buy the highs. Yeah, we'll buy the lows. Uh, and and by that by doing so, instead of yoloing all in at, at the all time high like some people did it when Bitcoin hit seventeen thousand or like when Bitcoin hit sixty nine thousand uh, dollars, we've bought a stack of Bitcoin uh, at an average cost of what twenty eight thousand eight hundred forty eight dollars. So. Uh, so, so far, dollar cost averaging has worked out well for us. And as I mentioned last time, and this has changed, but I haven't updated this spreadsheet with yet with this, with today's purchase, but had we YOLO'd in instead of starting DCA back in January 2021, we'd have 1,700,000 fewer sats. So not quite 50% fewer sats, but almost half the stack we have by DCAing. All right. Well, thank you for listening to my rant today. And thank you for joining us for this DCA Wednesday. And for every DC Wednesday, as we grow that stack, hopefully together, uh, we will be back next Wednesday for the next DCA Wednesday episode. And until that time, keep on stacking those sats, you sexy sat stackers. <laughs>